And we're back Monday, Stripe Show Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making this part of our day. Lots to talk about. My goodness, what a hack fest coming down the stretch. Yeah. On a Sunday, it was like watching a couple of my buddies, local munis, right? Last last round coming in trying to break 40. Jeez, Harris English, Bryson DeChambeau, cough it up and Abraham answer, which I'm very excited about. Walked through the door and got his first win. And talk about that. Talk about Olympic golf. A couple Americans bring home the gold. Nearly Corda and Xander Schauffele. Then we'll look ahead here. A lot of big golf coming up. Got the Wyndham here. Narrow it down. And then we'll get into the playoffs and some Ryder Cup. And so, look, we're going to talk all things golf. And we're going to go deep dive. i got to bring my man back in with Golf Digest. Daniel Rappaport coming from New York. How you doing there, man? I'm very well. How are you? It was uh, quite an entertaining day yesterday. It looked like it was going to be kind of a snooze, and then it was anything but a snooze in the end. It's been a while since I've seen that. You know, it. You know, you'll you'll see one struggle, but to have two world class players, right, like Bryson DeChambeau and Harris English, who have both won twice this year, going for that third win, first to do it this year, and to really just completely—I mean, hack—hit some bad shots. Harris, couple double bogeys on the par threes. Bryson spraying it all over the place, getting emotional again. I mean, it was just, what are we watching here? I couldn't believe it. I think Harris yeah, it probably, I think Harris probably closes the deal 98 out of hundred on coming down the stretch there, but the slow play they're put on the clock. It affected him big time. Didn't it? It affected him big time. He said so after the round, you know, I think it wasn't Bryson deserves a little bit of, of, I don't know if, sympathy is the right word but it wasn't just like bryson was playing super slow they had a tough ruling yeah. where his mm-hmm. ball was like half in bounds half out of bounds and that took a couple minutes for them to get the official in and to discuss it and so that put them out of position but again it wasn't like they put a fast player and out of position who's able to get back in position he he's bryson he's one of the slowest players out there so when you put him behind the eight ball as far as pace of play goes he's not going to get out from behind the eight ball and so what harris english said after the round was you know, we're rushing from Green's team. We're trying to pick up as many seconds as we can. And I found it really difficult to slow down after that. When you're when you're moving quickly between shots, and every golfer can relate to this, if you're trying to, there's a group on your ass and you're trying to run to your next ball and you're trying to then calm down and play your shot, you're just not going to give it the attention that it deserves. And I think the cameras actually picked him up saying during the tournament, like, I hate rushing. I hate rushing. Mm-hmm. He's clearly rushing. And when you have a four-shot lead, the last thing you want to feel is any sort of anxiety. And that's a good way and a very quick way to feel very anxious is worrying about how long you're taking. So it was a really unfortunate circumstance. It was tough to watch. It was a reminder of, in in a weird way, of how good these guys are normally because you, know, you saw that golf course and there's a ton of water everywhere. And if you're just a little bit off, you're going to hit it in the water and make double bogeys where Harris English was 20 under par through I don't know what it was, like 60 holes maybe or 63 holes. And, uh, and, and then it just shows you how, how disaster is completely possible out there. But he was just hitting it so well that you never even thought about the water on those holes before. So yeah. it was a really, really wild day and a reminder that winning, even though you know, it was the WGCs are big events, but it's not a major. It didn't have like crazy pressure feel. It's just anytime that finish line comes in sight, things start to change. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, winning is difficult for sure um, on the PGA Tour. Every player is going to tell you that. 
That's about as easy as you'll see TPC Southwind play the first three days. Um, very soft, no wind. I mean, they tore it up. I and mean, that is not an easy course. I tweeted, I was like, I've been there. Like, this course is not that easy, what these guys are making. And then, you know, it firmed up a little bit. The wind picked up and it showed its teeth. I, I think Southwind is one of the more underrated courses on the PGA Tour. I love the way it played last year when JT won at 13 under. Um, but it, it definitely, it, it really was easy the first three days. And then they came back to the field uh, in 16, ended up winning it when it looked like 22, 23 could be the number to your point after 63 holes. All right, let's start with Harris. I think with Harris, I was a little surprised that it did affect him that much. I mean, he's been out there a long time. There's no way the PGA tour is going to issue a penalty to the last group. There's no way. I mean, those guys could have been an hour and a half behind. And can you imagine they said that they, they decide right here to issue a penalty to Harris English. I think Harris in hindsight, probably looking back, um, you know, he made a mistake. I think, I think he's a veteran out there and he certainly felt the need to hurry up, but they're in the final group. I mean, he's been out there a long time. He knows the tour is not going to give him a penalty. I think it was probably just more the optics. Like, I don't want to get a bad time. Who cares? Get a bad time you're in the final group trying to win for the third time on year and get into the Ryder cup and, and, you know, positioning for the FedEx cup, you know, all the things that go with that. I get it. So I was a little surprised that he was affected as much as he was considering um, him being out there and a veteran of the tour who's been in this, uh, who's been doing this a long time. I mean, he won there for crying out loud back in 2013. And he, you could see the little smile on his face when they said that, when he teed off, and our champion in Memphis in 2013, and Harris is like, damn, I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> he a little chuckled there. I was a little surprised that he it affected him that much. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is fair, and I think it's a good point. It's like just because they give you a warning doesn't mean that they're actually going to penalize you. They're not going to penalize you. So, right, and so to, to completely change your routine, to, to, to change the yeah. rhythm and the cadence that, that got you to – I think he got to 20 under, right? He was 20 under through nine holes – um, to, to change up what got you there seemed like a bit of a rash decision. Like, he, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, if a rookie does that and they're freaked out because they don't want to get a, a time and that makes sense and they want to rush, maybe they're feeling a little bit of pressure playing in the final round alongside Bryson. You don't want to be viewed mm-hmm. as a drag on the tournament. That's one thing. Harris English had already won twice. He's been a factor on tour. He's been out there for, like you said, close to 10 years. He knows exactly what the drill is. Yeah. And even if he could do it over again, you know, let's say the worst, worst, worst case scenario, which would never happen. He gets a one-stroke penalty. He's still leading by four. You know, the only thing that's gonna that's gonna lead to a collapse is if you completely abandoned your routine and abandoned your rhythm, and that's what happened. And that ended up being not a one-shot penalty, but ended up being a five-shot penalty because he shot forty-five over yeah. forty on the back nine. So I think you're absolutely right. If he could do it over again, he would try and at least make it look like he's playing faster because you don't want to be you know looked at as like a dick who's not even listening at all. But you don't totally take everything that you've done. That's gotten you to the point where you are, where you're leading the golf tournament comfortably and then throw it all away because they tell you that you guys are out of position. It seemed like a little bit of a rash decision. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. I, I really was. I, I think in that situation is like, look, man, I'm all right. I'll pick it up a little bit, but I'm not going to get out of my routine. I'm trying to win a golf tournament here. I'm in the final group. Pretty sure everybody's going to be waiting on me. You know, like it's not, everybody knows Harris is a laid back, good guy. Like, you know, sometimes you got to just put your foot down and say, look, I'm, this right. is, kind of the, this is kind of the hand I've been dealt. I, you know, Bryson's over there. They're 
got the string out trying to get make sure he's in bound. You know, like the things were slowing down just from kind of the natural rub of the golf course, if you will, right? Just some unique situations that kind of slowed that group down a little bit. So I just think, okay, I was put on the clock, but historically the tour doesn't do um, anything about it other than, hey guys, can you pick it up a little bit? Because there's no stroke penalty coming down. Right, and, I, and I'm not sure what the exact rule is, but like if, when, if they're on the clock, they're timing each player individually, right? So right. if they're on the clock and Harris continues to have fine times, he's not going to get penalized, right? So right. if he just has confidence in his routine and he's not considered a slow player, I don't know why he's like worried so much. It would be Bryson yeah. who would have to worry about speeding up and getting a bad time, and you think that yeah. he's probably already not in the good graces as far as pace of play. So for, for Harris to kind of take that on his own, and, and you know what? Who knows? Like maybe he was already starting to play bad, and then it, it, things kind of spiraled, right? When you you hit a couple swings, of, of bad yeah. shots, make up a couple bad swings, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, I'm rushing," and then it kind of spirals from there. Who knows what the actual cause of it was? But it seemed like yeah. one thing kind of led to another, and they kind of amplified each other, and then and all of a sudden he has something in his head that's that's he's upset about, and that, and then that swells. So it was it was kind of a confluence of errors, and a, and a, yeah. a, a, a weird circus set of circumstances that led to. A collapse. I mean, a collapse. It was, he was leading the golf tournament by three. Tur- I think he was leading by three. He might have even gotten to four at one point. Um, and he misses the playoff. So yeah, complete or bogey's collapse. the par five. Bogey's the par five. Bogey's sixteen. I mean, even after all that, he's tied for the lead going to sixteen, which is a par five. He's got a really good chance to make it. You know, make make a birdie, still win the tournament, eat out, and he and he makes a bogey. So it was, mm-hmm. it was he. It was tough to watch. He limped in, and you didn't get the sense that he was that he was going to make that putt on 18 didn't look comfortable over it. Didn't look yeah. like he was fired up about it and then hit a really, really weak putt that you know, crossed the line, missed on the low side by about a foot. So it wasn't even close. It was a tough scene. You know, I think, I think Harris will bounce back. I, I have no question. He'll be a factor in the playoffs. Um, you know, the one thing that everybody is seeing with Harris English here this year that stands out is he is, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's a very, he's a wonderful He's a good iron player. He's a great putter. You know, I mean, he is above average iron player, but this guy is one of the best putters on the PGA tour. I mean, he is a beautiful putter. Um, and his game's in great shape. Justin Parsons, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, has done a great job of just getting Harris kind of focused on simple things and back to what he needs to do. And his game is, is complete form. And I think he'll be, he'll bounce back now. Let's move the discussion to, to Bryson, who is the other person in that group. And I had Mike Shy on his longtime coach. No one's been in the inner circle more than Mike Shy with Bryson. Um, from his early days to winning the U.S. Amateur, winning the NCAA to U.S. Open title. I mean, he's been with them, right? He's, he's been there. And we did a two-part thing. And, and Mike, you know, was very candid in coaching Bryson and the challenges and the rewards and all the things that go with it. And he said something to me that really resonated. And he said, you know, when the equation doesn't add up for Bryson, he is the most difficult guy in the world to be around. And I think that really hits home with a lot of the things that we've seen here with Bryson over the last, you know, six months or so in my eyes, at least when I watch Bryson, I think he's unraveling here. I mean, I I've said this before. 
I think he's going the wrong way. He is a brilliant player. He can go out and make things work when he's focused. But when the equation's not right and things are not working out, he turns into something that is just, it's difficult to watch. You know, it's, it's, it's very childish. I mean, it's, it's difficult to really listen to and watch. It's cringeworthy. And he's got people now fleeing all over the place. I mean, it's, you know, he's had, he's had altercations with volunteers, rules officials, fans, um, his manufacturer with Cobra. That is just weird, right? To call out your manufacturer and then your manufacturer to push back his caddy jump ship right before they tee off. Um, I mean, in my view, Daniel, uh, Bryson needs to take a step back here, I think, a little bit away and work on himself. I, I really do. I think he needs to take a step back, and he needs to kind of do some self-reflection here a little bit and just kind of work on some things internally here because the path that he's going down right now, no one wants to be around this, right? And it's going to affect his game on the course. I mean, it has. So I just think Bryson needs to take a step away and kind of work on some things here a little bit because what he's doing right now, I don't think is good for him. I don't think it's good for anybody around him. It's just fueling the fire for people and the fans to continue to get after him, which happened to a large degree this week. That's my thoughts. What do, what do you say to that? Yeah, I agree. I was hoping that the British Open would kind of be a turning point because what you said about the manufacturer stuff, I mean, if we take a minute to, to appreciate just how, how wild that whole situation was, right? It seems <laughs> to me, it's about terrible. I think it was Friday or Saturday, the tournament. He makes that comment, you know, the driver sucks. And then the equipment company pushes back, and you have you know that that guy Ben Showman, who was on his bag the week before, he didn't go rogue. He he didn't just decide, oh, I'm gonna single handedly yeah. go back at Bryson. Someone very high up at Cobra, whether it was Ben or someone else, gave him the blessing, like go go back at this kid. You know, right. it, it, it this wasn't him making that decision unilaterally. They had reached a breaking point where they said, we're not gonna let this kid. Um, denigrate our pro- our product publicly we are going to go back and fight fire with fire so i thought that was kind of a wake-up call to him of like look if my if the people who are paying me to use their clubs are gonna not let me talk like this then maybe there's something that i need to change and then in his interviews we spoke to him that week at royal st george's and he seemed to be really contrite he seemed to understand that like i keep messing up this is my problem and i need to fix this he didn't do himself any favors at all with his vaccine comments we don't need to get into the into the politics of it, but whether however you feel about it or not, I'm I'm pro vaccine. I don't have any problem saying that. But however you feel about it, it was more, it was more negative press, right? It was yeah. it was another it was another negative press. And then instead of doing the easy thing, which would have been meeting with the writers the next day and saying, "Hey guys, you know, maybe I, I didn't say things quite perfectly, or I'm I'm still at whatever," he decided not to talk to anyone for the rest of the week. He didn't talk to any of the writers. Blew, blew them off four days in a row. I think you're right. I think he's he's kind of spiraling. And if, going back to that British Open, his press conference the, the right before the tournament started was, again, really odd and really hard to watch. He was asked about yelling four. He got super defensive. He, he was talking about how he doesn't want to be controversial, but he likes trying different things, and he feels like the controversy comes with being different. I, I, I disagree completely. You know, I think what makes Bryson, his most charming aspect is how different he is. That's the reason mm-hmm. why... He's a star. It's the reason why he has all those endorsement deals. It's not being different doesn't automatically make you someone who's going to be vilified. There's a way to be different and be and be loved and cherished. Right. I think the people who love Bryson, that's the reason that they love him. But I think you're absolutely right. He he does not adjust well. He does not deal with problems very well. And we saw it at the, no. at the U.S. Open also when he 
got a couple bad bounces on Sunday, he, he just absolutely blew up. I think he shot 44 in the back nine and then blamed it all on bad luck. And then this is, again, this is him being in contention through a couple holes and he starts hitting balls that go a little bit too far. And instead of, okay, how am I going to adjust to this? What's going on? It's, it's, this is ridiculous. I don't understand how this is happening. He's like a kid who just completely rejects whatever is being told to him. So he doesn't have time. The unfortunate thing is he doesn't have time to take off. He's going to obviously play the playoffs. He's going to be on the Ryder Cup team, so he doesn't have time. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, he's probably not going to play at all in October and November. It'll be interesting to see how he comes back for the new season in Hawaii. Maybe he'll play one or two fall events. But yeah, when he comes back for the, for the full grind starting in January, if anything changes, because it does feel like the Bryson stock uh, is, is slipping pretty fast right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think those are all fair points. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's in the middle of it right now. But I think after, you know, I, I think there's some time away. Self-reflection. I think it's pretty straightforward, really, on some of the things that need to happen there. And I say that. I mean, we're all in that same boat. We all have to take steps back from time to time and be like, look, I got to work on this and this. So I say that because we don't want Bryson to spiral and his whole team just to keep jumping ship. And pretty soon the guy can't play golf because he's a mental wreck when something breaks down. I mean, just, I I just watch him on the back nine and you know, there's just, it just look, there's no joy. There's no happiness here in playing the golf. It's a complete grind. Things are not going his way. He goes to the next tee. He's waving at the camera. It's just childish. Like, it's just like, really? I mean, come on. I mean, this is also, it's it's a tough one for him too because it's 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 spiraling. I think that's yeah. it's the right word because the more that he does these things, the more the fans want to egg him on, and exactly. that only makes everything worse. So like there were a lot of Brooksy shouts yesterday, and they exactly. asked Harris English about that, and he said, "Oh, it's really unfortunate." But like I don't know if you saw, there was some kid. I mean, kid couldn't have been more than twelve or fifteen years old, who said like, "Come on, Brooksy," and Bryson goes, "Good one," right back at him, which. I understand, you know, you've been hearing that all day. You're blowing the golf tournament. It's probably not what you want to hear. But when you react, you make everything that much worse. So he continues to dig a hole. And I don't I don't really know. You're right. I don't know what the solution is. I don't think the solution is for him to just be quiet and stew on it throughout the rest of the round. But mm-hmm. the solution's definitely not for him to fight back. So it seems like, you know, time heals all. I feel like he kind of does need to just lay low for a while. And I think... He probably didn't expect, I don't know if it's because he's not familiar with the way that social media or the news cycle works. I don't think he expected his vaccine comments to draw as much attention as they did, but they did draw a lot of attention. And it came right after the British Open where he was in the headlines for reasons other than his golf. I really did think he was going to lay low for a while. He did the opposite of lay low. Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor. Improve your golf swing today. Pro-level launch data in the palm of your hand. It is very accurate within 2% of a $20,000 unit. The Rapsodo MLM app automatically tracks stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helpful for club gapping and understanding true distances for each club. Rapsodo MLM provides immediate feedback, data, and creates a better practice environment, not mindlessly hitting balls. Extremely portable. Case is about the size of a rangefinder. And you know what? You can use it both indoors and outdoors. I love this launch monitor. It's the Rapsodo mobile launch monitor. Check it out at rapsodo.com. R-A-P-S-O-D-O.com. 
rapsodo.com. <laughs> we go on and on with, uh, with, uh, Bryson. I mean, he's, he's, he's but must I mean, watch TV, one, must one, listen. I want to make one more point. Like, yeah, I, I, I want Bryson in this game for sure. I think we sure. all do. Like when he's playing, well, I think back to Bay Hill when he won and he almost drove the green on the par five. Like that was great. That was an awesome moment. And everyone loved it. And he loved it too. He was having so much fun that week. And it was a new element in professional golf. And all my friends who don't give a crap about golf were knew exactly what happened. They thought it was really cool. Like a, a character like him is really, really good for the game, but he mm-hmm. can't be the character that he is because that character is predicated on playing really, really good golf and being one of the best players in the world. If he continues to have all this mental anguish, it will rob him of that quality of play, which is absolutely necessary for the, for the character that he needs to be. That's well said. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, I think it's spiral. And so I think, I think that's where he, I think it's this, this off season is going to be a critical time for him to take a step back and just keep it simple and work on himself and then I think from there, the rest of it can kind of play off of that because he's clearly just an incredible talent. I want to move to the Olympics here now. I've got two questions for you here um, in the Olympics. We know that it's going to take a little while for the Olympics to be a little bit more mainstream, right? I think in the United States, we've only, I mean, it's only a second time. You got Paris and then you got LA. So you got a little runway here. I look at how the Olympics played out. Um, I think I didn't watch a ton of it. Um, I watched some of it being completely transparent. I wasn't as into it as I was, say, this week, the WGC, as I will be for the playoffs, as I will be certainly for the Ryder Cup. But in fairness, all right, we don't really have a lot of runway here. There's not a lot of history, so it takes time. Um, and I, I look at, though, the outcome the number one player in the world and the most dominant player in professional golf is Nelly Korda um, from the United States in women's golf. How big is that to win the gold medal and to be dominant right now in women's professional golf? It's pretty cool. We've been waiting for an for American star in the women's game to, to break through over the last couple of years. And we've had Black Sea for a little while and, and Michelle Wee before that. And there have been great American players, but not for a couple of years now. It's been, it's been really dominated by international players. And I think not just that she is American, it's who she is. She's, tw- I don't know, 23 years old or something like that. Yeah. Um, she is very charismatic. She's a, she's a good looking woman. She comes from an incredible family. You know, her brother is a professional tennis player. Her parents are professional athletes. Obviously, her sister is one of the 10 or 15 best players in the world. She has real potential to be the kind of star that elevates the women's game. And and we've seen a lot of momentum pushing for the women's game. We've seen a lot more attention and a a brighter light shined on it. But you need stars. It's the same as the men. It's it's no different. The men need stars just like the women need stars. You need personalities because... There are so many golfers, professional golfers, men and women, and the lack of a team aspect, it's not like, oh, I live in New York, so I'm going to root for this golfer. You know, people need rooting interests, and yep. she is someone that is easy to root for. And I think mm-hmm. being the gold medalist, being a major champion now, an absolutely huge finish to the, to the season, she's emerged as the biggest R, at least over here, in professional women's golf. And I think to win the Olympics and do it on such a global stage – was absolutely massive for her brand. So I think she is, again, she's, she's emerged. She's, she's kind of a cut above the rest right now as far as star power. 
Yeah. And the women's game, just like the men's game, stars stars are the lifeblood of the tour. So I think it's it's awesome for her to do that. And I also think the the way the men's played out as well. I mean, to have Xander Shoffley win, another American, and to have what I thought was really important about the Olympics was, especially on the men's side, you know, there was all this attention on guys who decided not to play and what was the experience going to be like. And then they got there and they were like, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And they were very, very public about it. You had Rory saying, you know, I regret what I said earlier. I regret saying that it wasn't going to be awesome, that I wasn't that excited. I, I totally caught the Olympic fever. You had Tommy Fleetwood, who was absolutely all over it all week. Xander Shoffley talking about how special it was. Justin Thomas on on Instagram saying that it was one of the coolest things he's done in his career to say that he's an Olympian. Colin Morikawa, who to his credit the whole way was really excited about it. To have all of these guys who are the best players in the world say that even this, with terrible time zones, with horrible COVID restrictions, with a lot of guys who weren't playing, to say that it went so well, I think it's going to be absolutely loaded in Paris. I mean, it's oh, Paris. Yeah. Everyone wants to go there. Hopefully, God willing, we'll be you know out of this by then. Yeah. And then it's it's a much better time. So you know, it'll it'll finish at probably you know noon or one o'clock. We'll be able to watch it live. I think that. Paris is in a really, really good spot for the Olympics, golf-wise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And it's only three years away, keep in mind, too, not four, because of the pushback. So you go three years to Paris, then you go, then you come to LA. So yeah, there's a little runway here. It's gonna grow. Um valid points. You need stars. I mean, you gotta have stars. The media and this engine in the United States and how it drives professional golf um, in men and women, you gotta have the United States person relevant. So people can get behind that. Right. And women's golf to some degree, we, we know I struggled from that and we didn't have that American lady that was climbing and winning and becoming a bit dominant. And I think it's fair to say it hurt the sport because as a fan in America, you want that, right. You want, you want to go to rally behind that. And Nellie's now stepping into that role and it's, it's really cool. I, watch more women's golf than the next person. And I feel myself getting more excited and wanting to rally behind that more now and, and see that and push it forward. So it's a, it's, it's a big moment and Xander winning, I think was very cool as well. Uh, The Americans just overall in the Olympics had the most gold medals, the most silver, the most bronze um, and the most total medals, obviously than any other country. So great showing, the United States and the Olympics and God willing will be past all of this in three years uh, in Paris and have some normalcy. But yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of more, a lot more of the big names going over. I just think about the impact well, that they, Nelly is having. Have, on. Sorry. They also have three years to figure out the schedule. Like let's just not have a yeah. WGC the week after. It's just not that, it's not that complicated. It seems yeah. like the WGCs are on the way out. So we probably won't have that issue anymore, but let's, let's just give it, you know, two normal events on each side. So the guys can, not say that the schedule is the reason that they didn't want to play. Right. Right. Yeah. I just think about the impact that Nelly's had on, you know, these young girls now in this country wanting to play more. I mean, I I just, I think it's, I think it's a real thing and it's going to have a real big impact um, long-term in what she's doing. And she's a sweet girl. I I met her at the golf channel, I think probably three or four years ago, I got to interview her and spend some time with her. And she's just, just a, a really a delightful um, young lady who's just got an incredible runway. I mean, I love her golf swing too. It's one of my favorite swings in professional golf. Um, she's got, she's got all the shots, um, short game, 
putting check. There's no weakness. And she's not scared. She's got a little dog in her too. Like she just, you know, like I just, that's like Nellie and Jessica watching both their careers. I've met them both. And it's like, Nellie's just kind of got that little bit of like, Oh, okay. Like she's going to like, she can put her foot on your throat. You know, like she's <laughs> like, you knock me down. I'm going to get back up. We saw it too. She kind of let him back in. And then she's like, Oh, okay. Here we go. Right. She just fights back birdie birdie. And then Lydia fights back. And you know, it's like, she's just, she's competitive. She's sweet, but she's gonna, you know, she's, She's going she's gonna to get after you, I think, more so than Jessica and more so than most of those tour players. I love it. I love the fight. I love the dog and watching that. She's got the edge for sure. And I yeah. think, you know, you can you contrast it with what happened with the tour event this weekend. You had Harris English who, again, not, not to pile on Harris English, but he's made, he's made those bogeys. But he still has a chance to win from 16. And mm-hmm. it was pretty similar to Nelly's situation. Nelly made a disaster at her. I think it was seven or she made a, a huge number and she's tired for the lead. And then you have that opportunity where you can walk to the next team and you can take a deep breath and reset, right? And say, right. okay, things haven't gone very well today, but I still have everything in front of me. If you would have told me that I have 12 holes and I'm tired for the lead to win the Olympic gold medal, you would have taken that at the start of the week. And, and, and it's a big test. And we used to see Tiger happen with this a lot. You know, he, his record of closing our tournaments was unbelievable. But it wasn't like he didn't struggle at, at points during those rounds. It wasn't like, he played flawless golf. You know, there were periods where he had a two shot lead and the guy birdied the first hole and he made a bogey on five and all of a sudden they're tied. And I think a big measure of a winner and of a sustained winner is can you weather the storm from the, from the beginning of the round and realize that, okay, things haven't gone to plan so far and adjust and flip the script. And she was really, really able to do that. She was able to say, it's okay. You know, we're not, we're not panicking. And, and make those birdies coming in and make the putts when she needed to and when Harris wasn't quite able to. So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but it just shows that there are times when you have a lead and you lose the lead, and then it's what happens next that a lot oftentimes distinguishes the, the perennial winners, the people who are going to win tournaments in bunches, and the guys who are going to struggle more. And she, and she definitely has that edge that you were talking about. Yeah, she does. She's, she's shown it a few different times. All right, real quick here, we'll go back to – We'll go back to the WGC. Um, I wanted to make sure we get, you know, Nellie in there and, and, and talking about her amazing accomplishments. But, you know, Abraham answered, this is a cool story as we go back to the WGC. He gets his first win. I mean, this is a very good player. Very good player. Um, he's good off the tee. His approach game is, is solid. I think his putter can be a little up and down. His weakness is a short game. I think he, he gets a little clunky at times around the greens, and I think that's held him back. Um, and kind of holding rounds together here and there. Um, but he's, he's a, he's an excellent player and he's got a little fight in him too. You know, this is, this is a guy that's, I think like five foot eight, 160 pounds, you know, and he's out there and he's wrestling with, with big guys, you know, on the PGA tour. I love watching Abraham play. I was very happy to see him, um, get his first win. And I I think this will be interesting. You know, I'm not the kind of guy that says, Okay, he got his first win. Now he's going to win all the time. Like, I just never really go down that path. Like, you know, let's face it. I mean, he was pretty fortunate here. Like, he was pretty fortunate to get into this situation and get a win. He won. I get it. But I feel like I would lean a little more towards Harris losing it um, in this particular situation. But, you know, look, I think Abraham made a good point, though. And I say that because in professional golf, anytime you compete and you're doing this all the time, 
you got to have things go your way sometimes because sometimes they don't. And Abraham made a good point in his interview. He's like, look, I've had some tournaments where I made a lot of birdies coming in on Sunday and I felt like I did enough to win and I didn't. I got beat. This guy did this. And sometimes like you do all this stuff to win and it doesn't fall your way because someone did this, right? And it's like, that was weird. That was unfortunate where it's like, okay, you keep playing and one kind of fell his way. So look, it, 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 it just weighs, you know, it all kind of works itself out. And in knowing that, and he's finished second, what, four times on the PGA tour and kind of a short run here. So look, he, he, he deserves this. Abraham answer is a very, very good player. What do you, just give us a little background on him and maybe what we can expect from, from this, from this player. I think we learned a lot about, about Abe at the 2019 president's cup. If you remember, he was kind of emerged as the international's best player that week. And he kind of got a raw deal. Remember, the, the whole narrative was that he called out Tiger. That he said, <laughs> yeah, I wanted right. to play Tiger, which was a, a, a textbook definition of something that got lost in translation. Mm. He was asked a question in Spanish about playing Tiger, about the potential for playing Tiger. This was like a couple of months before the President's Cup. And he said, yeah, I would love that opportunity. You know, if you're a professional golfer and you don't want to play against Tiger Woods in the, in the biggest stage, then I don't know why you're playing professional golf. That got bastardized into Abraham answer wants to play Tiger Woods. And Tiger was absolutely unbelievable that week, but Abe stuck with him. That's like 16. I think yeah. he went either two, one and one or three, one and one that week. And he, he really showed a lot. That was before he had all those runner ups. He might've had one, but I think he was like, you know, in the thirties or forty in the world, he wasn't quite where he was today, but he showed a lot of that moxie that week. And I think, when you are five foot eight and, and you know, kind of like a Zach Johnson build or a, or a Matt Fitzpatrick build, and you kind of have to have that edge. You have to have that complex of like, I'm going to beat all these older dudes and you have to be tough because if you dwell on, on what you're lacking and what you're giving up physically, then you're going to focus on the negative. And I think he, he really does have a belief in himself. And he's a mm-hmm. cool story because he never took a golf lesson, totally self-taught. The swing is a little bit homemade. He's got kind of a funky back swing, but he's a great iron player. He's going to be a President's Cup stalwart for for many, many years to come. Might be like, you know, the next, it's like him and I guess Sungjae will probably be the, and the the younger Australians, Cameron Smith, the guys who are going to kind of take the mantle from from the Adam Scotts and the Louis Eustazens and and kind of take it. Hideki's another one who's going to take that, that team into the next generation. So, yeah, he's, he's long been a, a guy who's been near the top of leaders, but you have to win on the PJ Tour in order to like really start to move up yeah. into the top 10 in the world. And he's number 11 now, which is which is pretty incredible for a guy who never took lessons, was, was a good college player, nothing nothing crazy at Oklahoma, and then got his tour card, lost it immediately. Another interesting story, if you've ever heard him tell this story about his first event on the PGA Tour was a Safeway Open. I guess it's, it's Fort, Fortinet now, I think it's called. And he said he pulls up and it's like, you know, 8.30 in the morning, 7.30 in the morning. And he's, it's cold outside. It's, it's California, you know, 55 degrees. And he's hitting balls next to Rory McIlroy. <laughs> and Rory's hitting five irons, 210, drawing them right in the middle of the club face. And, and he's looking over and he's like, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I don't have that shot. And he said that he tried to become a different player. He tried to start hitting it a lot further and a lot higher that year because he was actually kind of intimidated by Rory. You know, we think about these PJ Tour pros, you're on the PJ Tour. You shouldn't be intimidated by anybody, but but they're not above that stuff. And he tried to change who he was, went back to the Corn Ferry Tour, came back the next year, and really stuck to his guns and developed that confidence as a player. And and last week was or yesterday was was the culmination of that journey. And he said, 
you know, I got off, I think it was 16 or 17. I could not believe that I was tied for the lead. You know, I thought I was going to be like four back. And it's what you said. It's the law of averages. You continue to put yourself in positions to win. One of these times it's going to fall your way. And it finally fell his way. And it was, uh, it's a huge win. I mean, he won a world golf championship. He's like in the top 10 in FedEx cup points now. And it's a life-changing win. I mean, he's, it wasn't yep. like his life was bad before that, but now he's a tour winner. Now he's a WGC winner. Now he's really close to top 10 in the world. And he's, he's really elevated himself into, you know, not quite the, the ROM or Ikawa tour, but he's, he's kind of, he's kind of in that next tier there. Oh, sure. Oh yeah. I think so. I think, I think he's in the tier below those guys now. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see now. This is, um, you know, he, he's up there a lot. You know, we see his name in that first, second page of the leaderboard uh, a fair amount and you clip one of these off and, you know, mentally now, Maybe you can relax just a little bit more, and we'll, we'll see where that takes him. Um, but like I said, his ball striking is very good. I think he needs. I think to get to that next tier for him, I think he needs to become better around the greens. Like he's his short game can let him down a little bit. I think he needs to become better there. And I think he, and if he becomes a little more of a consistent putter, then sky's the limit, you know, for him because I, I think he does enough with the ball striking right there giving up some distance, of course, but, but he, he's, he's long enough and his iron game is certainly good enough. And it's a cool swing. It really is. He's never taken a lesson to this day. Is that what you're saying? I, I know he didn't like, no one taught him the game growing up. I don't think he has a swing coach. Wow. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I think I, he, it's, it's all homemade. That's pretty cool. That's you can see it too. Cause there's, there's, there's some, there's some idiosyncrasies. I just did a big analysis for it and we'll post it here. This just, it's an interesting kind of move, but you know, like, like all of them, when you start getting down to the bottom, it starts kind of lining up and everything starts making sense. One thing that he does, that I think is really cool. And maybe I'm just a golf nerd and I watch way too much TV and I think about these things way too much. He only picks up his tee and his ball with his left hand. It's very, very old school. It's kind of like, I don't know if Hogan did it, but that's kind of what I think about it. He takes a swing and then it's, you know, most guys have their little kick and they pick it up with the right. He reaches down with the left. It's different. It's cool. And I'm looking at the stats. I'm looking at the stats and you're absolutely right. When there's a guy who's small, like he is, the the temptation is to portray them as like a, you know, he's a grinder who kind of just chips and putts his way around, but it's not the case. He's no, he's 20, he's 23rd in strokes gained off the tee, despite being 156th in strokes gained driving distance. So that's really impressive. That means he's very, very consistent. And he's 30, 27th in strokes gained approach. There are not that many guys who are in the top 30 in both. And most of the guys who are, are the best players in the world. So it's, it's interesting. You're right. That he really does most of his damage with his ball striking, despite being that small, you'd think that he's a Zach Johnson type who's just wedge and putting, but it's not the kind of player he is. And I think that's actually a good thing. That's more sustainable to be able to rely on your ball striking as opposed to try and summon these kind of all world putting weeks to have any sort of chance. So it's a sustainable formula. It's not fluky at all. No, it's not. I would rather be, great on that end of ball striking, you know, and then have my weeks putting and be able to develop my short game as I go. I I think that's the perception sometimes in golf. It's like, well, you got to have a great short game to, you know, and these guys have great short games. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like we're, we're talking relatively speaking out on the PGA tour. I mean, for these guys to sustain and and the conversation here is to get to that upper level with the ROMs and the Morikawas and like, so it's all relatively. and, And, you know, he's not, 
chipping his putt in his way around and hanging tight, like maybe a Zach Johnson and some like some of the guys that we've seen there. It's it's his ball striking. I mean, that's what puts him up there. And then when he puts, he's 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 a good putter. He's not a great putter. He's a good putter, a little inconsistent. But he he kind of gets a little like you you saw a couple of the shots where he kind of just whiffed them around the greens. He kind of does that, and I think he got a little fortunate this week. The chips fell his way. He cleans that up with that ball striking. He'll win more. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, he'll he'll just elevate himself even more. So it'll be fun to kind of follow his career. Playoffs are close. Wyndham, we got one more. I'm looking at it real quick here. There's Bo Hogue at 125. Piercy at 126, and my yeah, goodness, right Ricky there. Fowler is at 130. Oh, Ricky Fowler, he's going to be on tour. He's got enough built in. We know that to be out there. But at 130, does Ricky get in? I don't. What would he have to finish? Probably top ten, I would think. Right? I, mean, I think maybe, he's maybe. I would say at least top range. 15, 20. Yeah, I would say at least. Yeah, I mean the odds are no. Uh, just be, just based on what he's shown this year, and based on the field, there's a lot of good players who are playing. You know, you got the guys obviously on the outside looking in, but you've also got you know Matt Wolf is playing because he hasn't he took a long break and wants to improve. There's a lot of guys who are kind of in the 70s and the 80s who have had really solid seasons who are going to be playing. It's a it's a very strong field, and it's not just Ricky who's on the outside looking in. I'm pretty sure that Justin Rose is outside as well. Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, Danny Willett, the Brits are having kind of a rough go this year. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of guys who are pushing and, and this is not a, uh, this isn't the Barracuda, you know, it's not like it's a really weak field. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of really good players who are out there. So the odds are that he doesn't, it will be interesting to see like if he misses the playoffs, does he, I guess he'll go to corn Ferry finals. Would he do that to try and prove his, his priority? Cause yes, you're right. He's not going to like fall off the PJ tour. He's no. got past champion. He's got money list stuff, but his priority will will drop because his, I believe his win expires after this. Like this is the last year that he's exempt from winning in in the desert in Phoenix. So I think he would be in the like one twenty five to one fifty category, which doesn't get you into all those big events. I mean, he'll get sponsors exemptions, as we know. Ricky's Ricky's big sponsor guy, so he'll be fine. But mm-hmm. it'll be I, I you know I'm more interested if he does miss it like. What does that look like? Is he going to play a bunch in the fall to try and get up in the reshuffle? How does he, how does he handle that if it actually does yeah. happen? I don't think he does. I don't think he goes to the Corn Ferry Tour. You don't think he goes to finals? Too much pride? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think he kind of. I mean, just the fact that he he's not he, the fact that he didn't play the Barracuda. I think, you know, kind of says that he's comfortable with where he's at. If I make it, I make it this week. If I don't, then I'll just I'm good for next year. I don't know. I just. I mean, he, I think if he, he was really concerned, he would have played Barracuda. Yeah, he definitely doesn't need the money. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, he's he's confident that he's going to get a, a good amount of starts. So you're probably yeah. right, but it, it is it's it's tough. I mean, it, it wasn't like there was any shortage of events. You know, it wasn't like this right. year, last year, where it was kind of weird and you know guys missed the play. Like you had a lot of events. This was a full season of you playing worse than 125th on the money list or on the on the FedEx Cup so and it and it's interesting because uh, you know in the memorial he played really solid I think he was top 10 at, at Kiowa as well he looked to kind of be turning the corner and then he hit a wall again yeah it's um it, it's a bit of a mystery there I, I've reached back out to his coach Tillery who I know fairly well and I had him on um 
when they first started to go down these changes, some wholesale changes with Ricky. And, you know, it just appears to me that there was a, there was an effort there to make the change, really commit to the, the change that he was doing in the swing. I don't think they were getting the traction that they were looking for. His strokes and approach kind of tank and his driving wasn't as good. And then it started leaking into his putter. And then, you know, I, about two months ago, I was watching him swing and it just looked like he was doing what he used to do. Like it almost just looked like the same Ricky, you know? So I don't know if he's just jumped it or there's a modification. I don't know. I'm not sure where it's at, but to your point, eighth at the PGA, 11th at Memorial. Then he missed the cut at the Travelers, you know, and then he made the cut in July at the Rocket Open, the Open, and the 3M. But the concern there is, is I think, the ball striking. I mean, his putter started to come back, but his strokes and approach still strokes and off the tee, like he just still not, you know, that good. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. There's a lot of names. I mean, gosh, Adam Scott is like at 121. I mean, it, it just is he really. I feel yeah. like he's made every cut, but like never finishes better than 40th. I guess that's, he's sort of a case it's study. Just, it's just a new, I mean, it's just every weird week. to see some of these names, you know, around it. I I, I don't, it, yeah, Adam Scott is 121. Uh, Matt Kuchar is 124. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, these I mean, are, these are really three big names. names. Scott, Kuchar, and Fowler right there. Three names just hovering around the 125. Yeah, and then you got t- 136, Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood, yeah. 138, Justin Rose. 141, silver medalist Rory Sabatini. 140, Francesco Molinari. So, yeah, I mean, these are guys who four or five years ago were like Ryder Cup, no problem, top 20 in the world. It just shows you that, you know, the FedEx Cup, the FedEx Cup moves a lot faster than the world rankings because Adam Scott, I'll tell you that much, is definitely not 120 in the world rankings. So, no, it starts it starts fresh every year. It's a true meritocracy. And it's kind of cool in that way. I like it. You know, I like I like the fact that it's it's really a snapshot. in how did you play this season? Because the the world rankings are are slow to move. They they just are. And the FedEx Cup is, is is a much more accurate representation of how you fared in the last twelve months or whatever it is with the wraparound season. And I think it doesn't, I think it doesn't care Rose, who you are. I think Justin Rose looks a little unmotivated to me. Um, you know, just not quite himself. You know, he's on more commercials now than Ricky is for crying out loud. I mean, Ricky obviously went through some changes. Been a tough year. Kucher, I don't know. You know, he it just uh, he. If, if the game has kind of passed him by, he hits it nowhere, you know, off the tee when you look at today's modern game. Um, and, you know, I think Gary Woodland, it's been kind of a, a tough year for him, injuries and kind of bounce back and forth with some swing coaches. And so, you know, those are just some of the names that I look at the bottom here that we start to do, right? Um, when you start getting to the Wyndham Championship, which, you know, Wyndham's, I don't know, man, they've kind of, it's kind of just fit into a nice spot here. You know, you, you, it's good discussion, you know, right, be, right after the WGC and then right into the, um, right into the playoffs. And we've got uh, this week, we got Wyndham Clark on the podcast on Wednesday who has worked himself and he is 80th right now. And um, so we'll, uh, we'll have him on. And in two weeks, we've actually got Harris English. So we'll, um, that'll be, that's perfect timing. We'll let things kind of settle down here a little that's bit. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You don't, hair is kind you, of need, you don't need them the week after. You don't need them <laughs> yeah, the week it's like after. hey, so what <laughs> I was texting the froggy. I was like, "Man, I'm glad we don't have him this week because I'm not sure 
that would I'm not sure that would happen. But knowing Harris, he would have done it. And he's a stand up guy. I mean, he the fact that he did the interview with, you know, with uh, Amanda was cool. And so he's a stand up guy. I mean, I I look forward to um, to catching up with him in, in a couple of weeks. All right, man, I got to let you go. We talk golf forever. I know you got you're busy um, with Golf Digest. I can't thank you enough for coming on. And um, of course, playoffs time. Let's uh, let's roll. Wait, the playoffs start this week, right? For a lot of guys, like this is they got to play to get in. Some of these guys down there at the 125 yeah, it's, it's, others you're secure but it's a fun week i enjoy this week i, I really do the Wyndham and like who's got who's got to do what to get in and what these names that we're talking about it, it's just it's fascinating it really is we're in a we're in a different time to see the likes of kuchar and fowler and adam scott and guys like really these guys are at the 125 yeah. here we go start all this week it's all right, buddy thanks for coming on we'll do it again yeah, it's, it's week 17 of the NFL, so you know, things have to happen. Yeah, no, I'm always down. Right. I'm always down. Good talking to you, Paul. I just want to interrupt this interview real quick and give a shout-out to my friends over at Encore Golf. Encore provides some of the most cutting-edge technology in a golf ball that I have ever seen. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through their perimeter-weighted designs, which offer players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course. With their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show.